This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hi again, everyone. Welcome into the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Very happy Monday to you. Saints winners yesterday, LSU, Tulane, all winners this weekend, and Pelicans Media Day. It's a fantastic Monday. It really is. Welcome in, everybody, to our podcast, which comes to you today from the Smoothie King Center in downtown New Orleans, where the Pelicans are holding their media day to kick off training camp. Practice begins tomorrow. First preseason game is a week from tomorrow. It's amazing. It really is. It's that time of year. We're overlapping. As I mentioned, obviously, the Saints are winners. Uh, over the Carolina Panthers yesterday and now find themselves across the Atlantic in London where they'll start preparations in a day or so for the Miami Dolphins this coming Sunday. I'm Sean Kelly, Daniel Salerson, and John DeShazer in just a moment. They will wrap up yesterday's 34-13 to win over the Carolina Panthers, uh, but also today a lot of Pelican stuff. Two one-on-one interviews to kind of get us started uh, it's our first visit one-on-one with Rajan Rondo today. Fantastic to see him. Uh, great insight uh, in, as to where he is right now uh, with his career and what he sees in this team. And then we also have the uh, the most recently re-signed player for the New Orleans Pelicans. That's Dante Cunningham, who comes back here after uh, spending a, the summer as a free agent. So Rajan Rondo and Dante Cunningham are our two Pelicans interviews today. On Wednesday, we're going to feature Anthony Davis. Practice will be underway, and uh, there are also some other newcomers to the Pelicans team that we want to introduce to you uh, throughout our podcast this week. All right, so the Saints yesterday, winners over the Carolina Panthers, find themselves now right back into the division thing of things after starting the season 0-2. Here now are the Saints uh, beating Carolina, and uh, Carolina suffers their first loss. Three interceptions for the Saints defense. They also sacked Cam Newton multiple times yesterday. And I thought got some nice play on offense as well. Drew Brees was clicking thanks to the offensive line, the running game, passing game. It was just a lot of complimentary football yesterday for the Saints who needed a bounce back in a, in a big, big way, do so on the road, in the division. So it almost counts as two here. You pick up a win and you tag Carolina with the loss. So uh, a fantastic Sunday. After the ball game yesterday, Daniel Salerson and John DeShazer uh, met up to talk about the day's action. J.D., always good to talk to you, especially after a Saints win. Yeah, um, I really needed one. I mean, you know, you can't say that's much win in week three, and yet, you know, you didn't want to leave on the road with that kind of taste in your mouth if you're the Saints being 0-3. So to get to 1-2 and two and have a chance to even it at 2-2, two and two, and I think um, – you know, a lot of people prior to the season, if you had looked at it and said the Saints would be 2-2 two and two after four games, I think a lot of people would have taken that. No doubt. So how did they get to 1-2? and two? What were some of the key things you took away from yesterday's game as far as whether it was offensively, defensively, or both? Well, I think um, it shows what happens when this team is solid across the board. I mean, you know, they had good offensive production, not outstanding, but really good in terms of efficiency, and Drew Brees threw for less than 250 yards, as a matter of fact, and yet he had three touchdown passes. They took care of the football on offense, didn't turn it over, and then they ran it extremely well, even without a fullback. Didn't have John Kuhn on the roster, so they had to make a roster move to probably bolster some other positions before this game, and yet they were able to get it done 
uh, offensively, running the ball, ran for you know 100 plus yards, and had some good stuff uh, from Mark Ingram, also from Adrian Peterson, and of course Alvin Kamara, the rookie, broke a 25 yard touchdown run right at the end. And then defensively, I mean, if you get four sacks and three interceptions, you are probably going to win that football game because uh, they wreaked a lot of havoc defensively, and it paid off for them. I mean, it was a really nice, well-rounded win. I didn't bust anything open on special teams, but they didn't have to. You know, Thomas Moore said being exactly who he's been and Will Lutz with a field goal. And, and uh, again, just a good look for the Saints to be able to score 34 points uh, on the road and to win by three touchdowns against a division rival. That's huge. How about the secondary stepping up for New Orleans? You had Sterling Moore, who was out. Same with Marshawn Lattimore. You had guys like Ken Crawley step up today. How big was the secondary with those three picks, especially being how shorthanded they were? Well, I think Ken Crawley might have been the hero of the game, and I don't mean, you know, just from you know from a yeoman standpoint, but I mean a, a guy who was inactive the first two games to come in and play as solid as he did. Uh, I think he led the team with nine tackles. He had a couple pass breakups and really solid. Now, he didn't get one of the interceptions. Marcus Williams got an interception. Jimmy Vaccaro got one, and P.J. Williams got one. And yet, you're able to bring in a cornerback who hadn't played as we but inactive the first two weeks, and it shows and speaks to his professionalism to be ready to play when he called upon. So, you know, just a good book uh, for, for that defense overall. And then to get the fourth back to apply a lot of pressure and to get Cam Newton on the ground and to put him in some position where he was hurried and harried and rushed a little bit. You know, all of those things work in a, in a defensive favor. I want to go back to the first uh, two drives of the game, one for the Panthers and one for the Saints. And the Panthers, uh, the big sack by Cam Jordan there on third down forces the, the field goal uh, for Carolina. And then the next drive for the Saints, they come down 75 yards, a touchdown to Michael Thomas, who had five catches. How much did those two big plays and those drives really set the tone for the game for New Orleans? Well, I mean, it, it shows that the defense, I think, you know, was, you know, in, but don't break early, you know, and then they got into a groove and they really got into a shutdown mode. And for the offense, it was good to see them put together a complete drive and to finish it off with a touchdown. We saw some drives, you know, especially in the first game against Minnesota, one for five in the red zone. And it's difficult to win in the NFL if you're not scoring touchdowns. If you're kicking field goals, it's going to be hard to keep up, especially if the opposition scores touchdowns. But this time, they were able to score touchdowns able to get into the end zone, and that worked out so much better because now they're able to get a lead and you stay on schedule offensively. You don't have to abandon the run. Uh, you can throw, you know, select passes. You don't have to, you know, try to go deep. You're not playing hurry up. You're able to milk the clock some and eat some up. So you know, it was a really good, balanced way to start the game, get a stop defensively, even though they gave a field goal, but keep them out of the end zone defensively and then go down and punch it in offensively. And you mentioned the balance offensively. I know you talked about Drew Brees with his three touchdowns and no interception. Nine different players for the Saints caught a ball today. And you talk about the running game, 149 yards, which exceeded the first two games of rushing production from those guys. So how nice is it to see not only the running game get going, but you saw a lot of guys contributing as far as catching the ball from Drew Brees. Well, that's the thing that Drew Brees does. He's going to spread the wealth around. Whoever is open, that's who he's going to give the ball to. So we know that, but the, the real pleasing part was to see how the Saints played in the run game, to be able to get some run lanes and to be able to capitalize on them. Again, you know, they had to get some, you know, got them in the round. I think Ted Ginn ran a, a nice reverse and got a run from Tommy Lee Lewis. And, but for the most part, it was those running backs kind of pounding it up in there and getting the tough yards. When you're able to do that, when you take a lead and you're kind of able to dictate to a defense, they can't sit on you being able to do one thing. 
because you have a lead. They can't just sit on you and rush the passer and not worry about the run. They've got to be concerned with both of them. And when you've got them in that position, then you can dictate your terms to them. Let's look ahead now as the Saints travel across the pond now to take uh, on the Dolphins next week. But talk about the schedule a little bit, J.D. I know I, I think it's probably a little different um, being that the Saints are playing in London, or is it at all? What, what can we expect as far as the practice schedule and events going on there in London for you guys? Well, I think pretty much Monday and Tuesday are going to be off days for the Saints. They're going to try to, you know, get your, get your legs and your body acclimated to, to the new surroundings and the time difference. And then they'll go back to practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's a, a dual event with the Dolphins on Saturday uh, downtown London. But, you know, I think from a practice standpoint, you know, they'll really get back into it on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then a walk through Saturday. And then, you know, time to play a game on Sunday. J.D., uh, you looking forward to doing anything there in London? What What's your favorite uh, aspect there of going across the pond? Well, I mean, I, I hope to be able to do some sightseeing now. I don't know exactly how much we're going to be able to do because Monday's going to be a, a catch-up day pretty much, and then Tuesday uh, we've got to hit the ground running. Even if the team isn't doing anything, you know, digital media, we never rest. So we've <laughs> got to find some stuff to post. But uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to do some sightseeing around uh, during the time that we're there. I'm, I'm sure I'll be able to. You know, I'm sure that there'll be some time alive that we can carve out, get around and see some things, and, of course, you know, sample the fine cuisine and, and those kinds of things. Fish and chips for days, that's for sure, J.D. And before I let you go, uh, talk about the Dolphins real quick. Uh, they struggled against the New York Jets yesterday, losing 20-6. to So uh, a chance for the, the Saints again to get back on track. As you mentioned, 2-2 two and two before the bye, the Saints will certainly take. But you're seeing a Dolphins team that I think they're still trying to figure out the Jay Cutler situation there in Miami. Yeah, and, and that's something that the Saints, you know, hopefully will be able to take advantage of. And, and look, the Saints should have some people back. Maybe Marshawn Lattimore, the cornerback, comes back from his concussion. Maybe Sterling Moore comes back. We know that Willie Sneed, the receiver, comes back. He's off the sink and he served his three games. Now he rejoins the team. Um, so we don't know exactly, you know, what the health is coming out of this game, but it certainly looks better and looks more promising in that you might be able to get two cornerbacks back. Might be able certainly going to get really steep back, and that's going to help in the passing game. All right, that's John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. Keep it locked on the app and the website as well throughout the week as J.D. will have all your coverage from the United Kingdom. J.D., I appreciate the time. Enjoy your trip uh, across the land there, and we look forward to your coverage and talk to you on Sunday. Well, it's going to be a good time going over here, Daniel, and hopefully uh, we'll go over there and, uh, and get another one, even this thing out. And let's get it moving in the right direction. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll talk some Pelicans next year on the Black and Blue There are plenty of good reasons to attend the Sanderson Farms Championship. About 150,000 good reasons. Batson Children's Hospital, part of Children's of Mississippi, averages 150,000 patient visits a year. And each year, proceeds from the championship support these patients by donating to Friends of Children's Hospital. Last year, the championship raised over $1 million for Friends. So join us for the Sanderson Farms Championship, October 23rd through 29th at the Country Club of Jackson. Good reason for a great time. Fifty years ago, a groovy new golf gig first teed off in Mississippi. The tournament now known as the Sanderson Farms Championship. To celebrate, join us October 23rd through 29th at the Country Club of Jackson for first-class golf, waves of fun, and 100% natural Sanderson Farms chicken, all to raise money for Friends of Children's Hospital. Don't miss this 50th anniversary celebration. Visit SandersonFarmsChampionship.com for tickets today. 
What's up, Pelican fans? This is Anthony Mackey, a shorter, talented version of Anthony Davis, and you are listening to the Black and Blue Report. Go Pelicans. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report, coming to you on this Monday from the Smoothing King Center in downtown New Orleans. We have all been awaiting Rajan Rondo's arrival here at the Smoothie King Center, and today we get our first chance to speak with him one-on-one. Got an exclusive uh, visit here for you on the Black and Blue Report as the Pelicans begin play with their new point guard. It's finally here. Happy uh, Happy New Year, Rajan Rondo. How you doing? Doing great. Tell me about the process. How did this all come together to get to a day today where you're wearing a New Orleans Pelicans uniform? Uh, a couple of big guys gave me a couple of calls this summer, and they uh, – they convinced me to come in. Doesn't seem like it was a very hard sales job, the way you put it. Not at all. I mean, I've been wanting to play with Cuz again since I left Sacramento, since we departed. So uh, he and I were talking this summer, and uh, it kind of just worked out. Things kind of fell the way it fell, and here we are now. What was it about that year that was so great for you and for him at the same time when you two played together? Um, I found a new little big brother. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I felt that uh, – you know, what KG done for me in my career um, as a young guy and, you know, with so many young guys he's helped throughout his career, I felt it was only right for me, my turn now, to kind of lead the young guy who has so much potential and become the best player in the world. When I talked to you when you were with the Bulls last year and after talking to Fred and everybody else up in Chicago, they all talked about how you've, you've kind of geared yourself toward bringing up the younger group now. What, when, when did that start? Help me out. When I became the oldest guy in the, in the locker room. <laughs> so it, it kind of just had to happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, everyone calls me, you know, one of the, the OGs of the team now. But me, thir- 31 years old, I don't feel like I'm old. But in this day and age, in this league, you know, you got guys like Frank Jackson that's coming in 18, 19 years old, you know, almost older than my kids now. So <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's fun being a veteran guy and just teaching the young guys what I've known all my career. What are you learning about this group in particular? Um, that we have a lot of chance to be great. You know, we have a great chance of being really good this year, and we have a lot of great listeners. You know, that's big. You, know, you don't want a whole bunch of guys that know it all. You want guys that are hungry and want to go out there and compete and still learn at the same time. Who plays off of who? You off of those bigs or those bigs off of you? How's the relationship start to come together? I guess both. We yeah. both have to learn each other. We both have to make sacrifices. We all, we all have to make sacrifices, and, and once we find, figure that out, uh, we'll be good. When you think about this group coming together, there's there's the leftovers, I guess, from the last couple of years, and then there's the influx of new talent like yourself. It, does it take a long time to get a good chemistry going, or is this something, or is this particular group able to pick it up quickly? I think it all depends on personalities. You know, it depends on personalities, and it also depends on, um, you know, what the guy in charge, Coach Gentry, is preaching every day, getting guys to buy in. And once we do that, if we're able to do that, mm-hmm. then we'll be uh, pretty successful. Uh, um, Drew said that he has to have his head more on a swivel than ever before. He says, I'm getting passes from, from Doe out of nowhere. What's it like playing with him? What do you, can you help me understand what chemistry you'll have with him in the backcourt? Uh, Drew's unbelievable. You know, I don't want to say it, but he, a team out west that plays really great without the ball, it seems like he fits in their system right along with him. And, and, uh, you know, he, he, can play, he can make plays. He can be a Drew Holiday without the ball. He can be Drew Holiday with the ball. So you have a guy like that on your team that's willing to switch positions and uh, still be have effect on the game. You know that's big for our team. You've accomplished so much in your career. What's still to go for you? What still drives you at this point? I need another championship. You know, I feel like I must have one, and, and that's what I've been trying to get get back to since '08. And it's, it's, I'm about to be a decade now. <laughs> it's too long ago, and I don't want to you know keep living the past. I want a new one. I, I want one now. Here's to that pursuit. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> 
All right, stay with us. We'll continue our Pelicans talk on this Monday, uh, a continuation of Media Day, if you will, with Dante Cunningham in just a moment. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top-quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe, original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more, and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. If you don't want to miss out on any of the action, get connected with your New Orleans Pelicans 24-7, 365. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter for exclusive prizes and giveaways. Plus text with all the latest breaking news right on your phone with Pelicans mobile alerts. Visit pelicans.com for information on these great features. Plus sign up for Pelicans Insider with weekly updates from the Pelicans. Join the conversation today. Follow us on Twitter at Black Blue Report. Dante Cunningham had his best shooting year yet last season with the New Orleans Pelicans. He opted out of his contract at the end of the regular season, tested the free agent waters, and now is back with the New Orleans Pelicans after kind of seeing what was out there, entertaining others' uh, overtures, and decided he wanted to be back with this group of guys and in this system. I think it's perfect timing, and the Pelicans certainly will fill a need by regaining the services of Dante Cunningham after the injury to Solomon Hill. Dante, of course, can play the four. He can also play the three. We'll see how Alvin Gentry uses him as training camp begins. Here now, though, is our visit on this media day with Dante Cunningham. Dante, count me in the group that's so happy that you're back with the New Orleans Pelicans. Congratulations on your return to the the Pelicans and a, a, a group that looks a little the same and a little different than when we ended things in the spring, doesn't it? Definitely. Um, I'm glad to be back, and I feel like we just have a lot of great new pieces and a lot of old pieces that we're just ready to put together and make a good picture. How was the summer? Was it hard at times going through the free agency process? Uh, definitely. Summer was uh, it was a long one, but, um, you know, it all worked out in the end, and, you know, we, we're, we're back and ready to get this going. Am I right in saying that you're coming off of your best year shooting? How about all that hard work and the numbers then that came out of it? Um, it was awesome. Um, a lot of a lot of long nights, uh, a lot of tweaking, um, lots of shots, obviously. Um, and, you know, obviously hope to continue this year. Are you a three-point assassin now, Dante Cunningham? <laughs> Can we call you that? Um, no, I, I, I'll stick with the corner boys, but um, I would just say I'm, I'm decent at just all-around shooting, I guess. <laughs> Anything else about your game that I need to know about that you've been working on? Um, you know, it's basketball. It's always something you can get better or developing, you know, add to your game. So, you know, it's always something that you can continue to get better at. There were other teams chasing after you. Why did you choose here again? Um, you know, the guys, the organization, um, it was really the guys. You know, I talked talk to a lot of, you know, AD, Boog, um, Drew, you know, a lot of guys just continuously talk to me. And, um, you know, with that alone, it's, it became a little bit more than, you know, I guess obviously the business side. It was, you know, first and foremost. But, you know, those guys definitely came close second. There's a fit, isn't there, with this group? It's definitely a fit here. And, you know, I, I kind of just sit right in. And with the, the, the new guys coming in, it's, it's easy to kind of 
continue to add pieces to this organization. Did you know that you're the only one who has been through both of Alvin Gentry's training camps in this city fully and entirely? How about that? Did <laughs> that's, you know that? That's, I, did, I didn't know yes, that, but that's awesome. And it's been two totally different uh, training camps. <laughs> and now a third that will be even different than the other two. What, what in your eyes, play analyst for me here for a second, what in your eyes will be different this time around for this group? We are starting off, for the most part, healthy. Um, for the most part, I should say that again. Um, we are, we're all here. We're, we're, you know, the core is here. We have a good, you know, group of guys, a group of new guys coming in that are, you know, veterans that know how to win, that know how to run a team, and it's just very exciting. Good stuff. Have a great camp. Can't wait to see you out there on the floor again. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, great visit with Dante Cunningham, Rajon Rondo too, and thanks to Daniel Salerson and John DeShazer for their Saints-Panthers recap. We'll have plenty more uh, for you this week from Saint, or from Pelicans training camp, including, as I promised, Wednesday's visit with Anthony Davis and also our team over in London with the Saints. We'll be uh, sending stuff over via NewOrleansSaints.com New Orleans and also to be shared on the Black and Blue Report podcast as their visit progresses and we make our way toward uh, the game in London on Sunday. So with that being said, we will bid you adieu on this Monday and rejoin you on Wednesday for our next edition of the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. For Daniel and John and Rajah and Dante, I'm Sean Kelly. Have a great rest of your Monday or your Tuesday if that's when you consume our, our visit today. Take care, everybody.